Last week our forefathers demanded that Samuel appoint for them a king. Even though Eli's sons didn't follow in their father's footsteps, even though Samuel's sons didn't follow in their father's footsteps, um, even so they want a king, this hereditary office, to be like the rest of the nations around them. Now, that's not good. Israel was created to be different than the nations around them. The fact that God dwelt in her midst was to set her apart, to make her unique. Israel is a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So God had Samuel warn them, if you have a king, He's going to be deserving of honor and service. He is going to take from you, and you are going to serve him. Now they're focused on what he's going to do for them. He's going to go out and fight our battles for us. They're oblivious to the fact that they're the soldiers, though. He's going to take, and you're going to serve. But people are at it. No. Give us a king. Now, when the king is established, God is going to demonstrate his displeasure at this request. That's in chapter 12. But, but for now, you know, this was anticipated. That request to have a king. In, in Deuteronomy 17, it was predicted. Uh, and, not only that, it was permitted. Even though the request was a bad idea, it was a permissible bad request. And ultimately, God's going to give Israel a king who doesn't take, but gives, and who didn't come to be served, but served and gave his life as a ransom for many. And even here, Sure, they were allowed to ask for a king, but only the king that God would select. And having responded to the warning, nope, give us a king, they're told to go home and wait. So that's where our passage left off. That's where we left off and we opened our passage this morning. Uh, and the scene changed. So that's what has just happened. Now we're entering a new scene. We're introduced to Saul. You know, this is all about the selection of a king, but Saul doesn't know that. All Saul knows is he's lost some donkeys. Let's dive into verse. Verse 9, verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. The son of Abiel, son of Zelor, son of Korah, the son of Abia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than all the people. Okay, so this guy's from Benjamin. <laughs> now, <coughs> That's a sensible choice. Uh, okay. I'm going to be talking like that's a sensible choice. Well, any choice God makes is sensible. That being said, let me just speak in human terms. 
That's a sensible choice from a human perspective. Benjamin is right between the two powerful tribes of Judah and Ephraim. So it makes sense that it's kind of like they, they, our, our uh, forefathers of America set the, the capital right between the, between states, not in the states, right? So Benjamin is tucked right between powerful Judah, powerful Ephraim. So that's good politically. Now, I don't know when it got this reputation, but Paul regarded the fact that he was descended from Benjamin as sort of like the greatest proof of this Israelite bona fides, right? When he says in Romans 11, I asked him, has God rejected his people by no means? I myself am an Israelite, a descendant from Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. And he goes further. Um, in Philippians 3, he says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Now, Paul goes on to say that all of these bona fides he regards as utter rubbish compared to knowing Christ, or rather being known by him, found in him, right? Um, but you can see how Saul is just the sort of man that Israel asked for, that, that Israel wants. They want a king like the nations have. Well, he's attractive, he's tall, rich, and handsome. He comes from money, so he's got in, 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 he's got an imposing physical structure, you know, stature. He's got <laughs> social stature. This is a good choice. Man just naturally commands respect. Let's keep going by verse three. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, "The son, take one of the young men with you and rise, go and look for the donkeys." And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, and he passed through the land of Shalishah, but they didn't find it. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they weren't there. And then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find it. Now, on the one hand, this scene shows Saul as a dutiful son. But I really think that the Lord has set the scene up this way because it's open to an analogy. Remember, what is it that the king is going to do? He is going to restrain my people. Verse 17, if you want to read it. Verse 17. Israel is a wayward people. Sure, we're often called sheep. Um, but occasionally we're compared with other animals. Uh, and a lost donkey is a pretty good analogy for what Israel is right now. Will he succeed? Is, is this the coronation story of the great king? Look, found it on. Not exactly. It doesn't turn out that way. And I think there are hints in this of Saul's coming failure. Verse 5. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there's a man of God in this city. He's a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, 
But if we go, what can we bring them in? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and we'll give it to the man of God to tell us how it Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer. For today's prophet was called a seer in former times. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. So, Saul has physical stature, money, good looks, but he's lacking in something. He's got the physical stuff down pat, but he doesn't seem very aware spiritually. At the end of chapter 3, we read these words. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Shiloh, Samuel at Shiloh. By the word of the Lord. And so all Israel, David of Yeshiva knows Samuel is established as a prophet of the Lord. And yet, Saul doesn't know him, doesn't even seem to really know of him. But that's what we're getting in hints. What's more obvious to us as we read through this passage is the sovereign hand of God in, in Selecting Saul, bringing Saul to this place. Notice where Saul decided to end his quest for Melchizedek. To Zuth. Now, I know these places are foreign to us, um, so we might just remember um, that this is Samuel's hometown. But if you look at the very first word of words of the book, it says there was a certain man of Ramathine, so theme of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, Je- Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. Now, you and I might call that coincidence. We might even call it luck or a chance event. And the biblically informed among us will immediately correct us and say, there's no such thing as luck. God is sovereign. Uh, you know, even if we roll a dice, the number that comes up, God determines that. And that's true. But the Bible does describe things as happening by chance or coincidence. All the while, not in view of God is sovereign. Um, but it speaks that way because that's how you and I experience things. What looks like luck to the world, uh, we recognize as God, God's sovereign hand behind the scenes working for us. Um, but we experience coincidences and luck. We just recognize that they're directed by God's hand and a blessing. So Saul just so happens to turn uh, back on his trip at Zuth. And, and so uh, he just so happens to turn back all of the day when Samuel returns from his preaching circuit and is at home. But we'll see that in a minute. Note, though, that even though Saul didn't know about Samuel, or at least divine assistance never really occurred to him in his quest for the donkeys, even so, God sovereignly provides him with the necessary 
wisdoms through the servants. And Saul's credit, he thought the servant's idea was a good one. Now, I'm not sure what to make of that whole payment thing. You know, some, some commentators criticize Saul here. Um, I'm not sure that that's right, though. I mean, if the king can take, rightly take, because he is serving you, then surely the prophet also deserves his wages. He, too, is God's servant. He's providing us with the divine assistance that we need. The laborers work his wages, don't muzzle the ox and all that, right? So I'm not sure that I would criticize Saul for this. A quarter of a shekel is, is really not much money. It, it, it's, it's a token gift. But it's all they have. And like the widow's might, it's all they have. And so it's enough. It's by God's providential hand that they had that. And so they just return to the Lord that which he has given them. Verse 11, as they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water. And they said to him, to them, sorry, is the seer here? And they answered, he is. Behold, he's just ahead of her. He has come just now to the city because the people have sacrificed today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not come and will not eat until he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, or you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way out. To the top to the high place. Again, notice how uh, everything in this story it, it happens just in time. Right? Um, remember, this is the story of the selection of the king. Deuteronomy 17 has anticipated this, but it also said, But the king you set over you must be the king that the Lord your God chooses. So God is choosing Saul. We're seeing the chosen king's calling, and that's worth pondering. We know this is going to end badly, don't we? We know where Saul is up. We know that this is a foil for David. He's the bad king, Saul's the good king, right? But it is interesting. That God picked Saul before God. It's not like God makes a mistake in picking Saul. Now, he does express regret in making him king. If I regret, results in him just being removed from being king. God chooses Saul because it's the man that people want. And then God will choose David. Because he's the man that people need. Remember how Jesus didn't entrust himself to man because he knew what was in man? Well, they wanted, they wanted a political deliverer. They would have immediately wanted him to just conquer Rome. Give us, give us the deliverance we think we need. But it wasn't the deliverance that they really needed. Well, we're seeing that contrast here. Saul 
is the perfect choice according to their desire, what they're looking for, what they want from God. But it's not at all what God is looking for for them. You know, if you bother, if you're bothered by the fact that Samuel's offering sacrifices and high it's a little weird, isn't it? Um, but remember, Shiloh's gone, the ark is separated from the tabernacle, and so worship is reverted to a, a wilderness What strikes me as interesting when pondering in the sacrifice, though, is did you notice that there were invitations? Does that strike you as odd? The people have a sacrifice. Those who are invited will eat after Samuel comes and blesses them. And we're going to find out at the end it's like 30 people. <laughs> 30 people. Must have been the elders of the ten as participants in the sacrifice. I couldn't really find anything uh, to, to help me understand what's going on and on with it. I mean, you would have expected anybody in town to be invited, right? Uh, but only certain folks are invited. We're not told how you got invited or anything. Um, I do notice, as, I, as I'm fascinated by this, even though I can't explain it in Rabbah, what's going on with, with Samuel and this town in Rabbah, I, I'm struck by the fact that Jesus told two parables about invitations. In Matthew 22, he speaks of a wedding for, for the king's son, and invitations go out, you know, and, and these people refuse to come. So the king went through wide the invitation, not just for those original invitees. Now he throws the invitation wide, and then there's a twist in the parable. Someone gets in without a wedding garment. It's thrown out. So the invitation is thrown wide. All may come, but we come wrapped in the righteousness of Christ over toss. Jesus said, that's like the kingdom of God. Well, the Jews were the invitees, but when they refused to celebrate with their king, the invitation was thrown wide to everyone, including us Gentiles. But again, we only come wrapped in the wedding garments. Then Jesus told another parable, very similar parable in Luke 14, indicating much the same thing, that those who were invited to a banquet started making excuses, and so the master of the house he went everywhere he found, and he could find people, and, and filled his house so that those who had been invited and refused to come could not participate. Now let's get back to our story that all those coincidences required for God's plan. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out towards them on the way up the high place. Verse 15. Now the day before, Saul came, the Lord had revealed the same. Well, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man in the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. Remember that. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because that cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here's the man of whom I spoke to you, he it is who shall restrain my people. And then Saul approached Samuel when he did. He said, tell me where's the house of the seer. Samuel said to Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will go, I will, I will let you go and tell you all that is on your mind. 
As for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago, don't set your mind on them, for they've been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you? For all your father's house. Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans in the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me like this? Now, if we hadn't skipped over the book of Judges, we would be familiar with the sort of language that the Lord uses here. Uh, it's the sort of thing you would say when you would accept a judge. He has heard the cry of his people, and uh, so he's raising up Saul to deliver his people from the hand of the Philistines. That's going to be, I think, the first real big signal of, Paul, of Saul's failure. This is failure to deal with the Philistines. So the prophet proved himself right away without prompting. He tells him about the donkeys, uh, and so then he says that everything that is desirable in Israel is for Saul. And that blows Saul's mind. Again, Saul is not all bad. And there seems to be some humility here. I say he's not, not all bad. He, he does end up bad. But what I'm trying to say by that is he's a tragic figure. He starts out with a good deal of promise. And Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought him to the hall and gave him a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said, to bring the portion I gave you, which I said you put it aside. So he took up the leg and what was on it and set it before, set it before Saul. And Samuel said, see, what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day, and when they had come down from the high place to see, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called Saul on the roof, up that I may send you on your way. So Saul rose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. So only about 30 people were invited, probably the elders of the town. Uh, I am still baffled a bit by the, by the invitation <laughs> Thing. It, it sort of makes sense that elders, leaders of the town would be especially participants in the sacrifice. But the banquet's done. And with the break of day, Samuel sent Saul off and wanted him to be the new king, verse 27. As they were going down the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has now anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you'll be met by two men coming out of Rachel's tomb, two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin and Selzheim. And they will say to you, the donkeys you were seeking have been found. Now your father stopped caring about donkeys. He's anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about this? But then you shall go on from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. And three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats. Another carrying three loaves of bread. And another carrying a skin of wine. 
And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. Now, if there's a lot of symbolic meaning in all of this, I, I, have no, I don't know what it means. But the signal's pretty clear. Providential signal. After that, you shall come to Gibeon Elohim, where there is a, fil- a garrison of the Philistines. And, and there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp and tambourine and flute and lyre before the prophets. And then the Spirit of the Lord is going to rush upon you. Those three signs are going to happen along your way. And then the Spirit of the Lord is going to rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do with God's Again, remember that, because he's raised, he's told them about the Philistines, they're coming to the Philistines, and, and he says, he's going to be deliver, deliver his people from the Philistines, and he gives them a promise of victory. When the Spirit of God rushes on you, do what your hand finds to do. God receive it. And when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I'm coming down to you to offer burnt offerings, and eat sacrifice, heaps offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Now, if you know the story of Saul well, you probably immediately thought of thinking of his great downfall here when he offers the sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel. But look again at verse 7. And keep set verse 7 in mind over the next few weeks as we watch what Saul does at the Philistine garrison. He has, right after that, he has the Spirit of God rushing on him, and he really does nothing. He goes right back to status quo. That's, that's in our passages that are ahead. Let, let's, let's finish up. Chapter 10, verse 9. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gideon, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And the men of the place answered, who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the Hyphites. Saul said to him and to his servant, Where'd you go? He said, To seek the donkeys. And when they saw that they were not to be found, he went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul told his uncle, he told us plainly that his own donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now, what does it mean that Saul was given a new heart? Is he a believer? No, you can't read the upcoming passages and conclude that Saul is a believer. The Spirit empowered him, and so it's all more tragic that he didn't come to repentance and faith. His, his eyes never really rise beyond his navel. 
rather than attacking the, the Philistine garrison and rising to public acclaim by the providential hand of God, he goes home. He keeps quiet. He goes back to life as usual. Now this is all before uh, God selects Saul by lots and he's found hiding on the baggage and all that. This is just the backstory. This is to introduce us to the man so that we can see God's providential hand here and so that we can get to know this king after the people's hearts before we get to know the king after God's heart. Saul's failures are coming. These are just hints. But what is the takeaway so far? I think we ought to be paying attention to the way Saul is introduced. He has everything that mankind pursues. Yeah. Well, his stature and reputation. He is exactly what Israel is looking for. But God's ways are not our ways. We look on the outward person, God looks on the heart. So there's what we think we need. And then there's what we really need. Now God eventually or ultimately determined to give us the light, what we really need. But sometimes, and this I think is the takeaway, sometimes in order to teach us a better way, he allows us to have our own way for a little while. But you might see how badly it ends. Even though it leads to pain, he lets us have it sometimes. Now, having a king is not a bad thing. Part of Israel's problem is that she's unrestrained. The king's not a bad thing if the king is properly submitted to the Lord, if the king is, is a shepherd king, if the king is intent to, to guide his people toward God. That's a good thing. The problem lies in the people's hearts on one hand. There was no king in Israel and everyone did as they saw fit. But having asked for a king, they're going to find that the, the problem lies in the heart of the king. Soon we're going to meet David, not eager to get there. His heart's a beautiful thing. But even he is only an introduction to the great king, the son of David, who's the son of God. Now, you and I, we have, we have a king whose heart is pure, whose reign is all-encompassing, there's nothing beyond his power, who restrains us by dying for us. He restrains our passions by gaining our gratitude. Gently transforming us from the inside out. I know it's discomforting to know that God might give you what you asked for, even if that's not what's best for you. But it shouldn't be discomforting, it should be comforting. Yes, it involves your pain, but only because God cares for you. He's not going to let you go your own way. He is intent to restrain your heart. And that's comfort. It means he won't let you go. 
You know, you empower Saul for service, sure, temporarily, but he worked all things together, together for the good of his people. And right now, that's going to be through showing the bankruptcy of chasing worldly pursuits. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control, upright, in godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people in his own possession who are zealous for good works. Finally, and I'm anticipating Saul's failure here, Saul was given a task and a promise of victory. Now, Saul squandered that victory by going home, returning to status quo. I wonder, brothers and sisters, if we don't do the same thing with the Great Commission. Aren't we promised victory over the gates of hell? And don't we just have one job? Share your faith. Raise up the saints. We have a better way to live, brothers and sisters. We don't want to be like the nation. We see the bankruptcy of that. Let's embrace that new way of living. Submit to our kingdom. And let's be singing the praises of our King as we go our way. We pray with you. Oh, my Father, you have so much here for us. You, you demonstrate your sovereign power in the mundane coincidences of life. You, you show your steadfast love, even when training us in, in painful ways. You work it all for our good. Even though we, have, we don't enjoy your discipline, Lord. Nevertheless, Lord, we ask for it. Never leave us without discipline. Otherwise, we aren't sons. We know it's right. Good. We know that we will reap a harvest of righteousness if only we will be trained by it. So, Father, we confess, like Israel of old, that we often do operate on worldly wisdom instead of living by your divine direction. Father, do change us from within. Let the things of earth grow strangely again in light of glory and grace. And give us not worldly wisdom, but the wisdom that is from above. And give us the necessary boldness to share your goodness with others. For the sake of our King, this King, we ask in the name of the King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand.